When I heard David say there would be no episode the week between Christmas and New Year's, I thought, I wonder if I could make an episode. My name is Satchel, and my restaurant is Satchel's Pizza in Gainesville, Florida. We have 15 Michelin stars. I had a lot of failures in an attempt to make my podcast episode. I thought I can just talk about some stuff and have it just no edits and send it to David. But then I realized I went on some tangents and I needed to add some other bits. And the next thing you know, I've probably sent David five or six different little bits and he would just have to edit that together. And then he's working. The whole idea is to not work. And it was terrible stuff anyway. It wasn't even worth putting together. I'm not really, I can't find words good when I'm talking off the cuff like that. So then I thought maybe I could edit it myself. So I sat down at the computer and I tried to figure out how to put it together and edit it. And I'm really bad at computers. It's not my thing. I'm a visual artist. So that quickly fell apart and I was ready to give up. And then I had this idea. What if I wrote something and just read it? I listen to the daily podcast on occasion and they have this podcast that comes out on Sundays, the Sunday read, and they just read something that they've written. And I think, let me try that. That'll be my attempt at a podcast. So this is my attempt at that format. And it's certainly not EPM style, but it's a holiday week and I figured who cares. So here's my story. What's the deal with Satchel's Pizza? I've always loved pizza. Growing up in suburban Jacksonville, Florida, we didn't eat out much. We did regularly go for pizza at Pizza Hut and get a thin and crispy ground beef pizza. I would pay, play sit-down Miss Pac-Man and life was good. I was also a pretty good artist for a kid and at 12 years old, I joined the weekend adult group at art class and drew highly realistic drawings of animals mostly, but also learned to do portraits. My mom always matted and framed the best drawings and she still has them hanging today and they are still pretty impressive drawings for a 12 year old. I had a natural ability. Life was a little bit of a struggle as a teenager. My dad had a brain tumor and no job. The brain surgeries and the tumor on his pituitary gland had misshapen his head and made his hands and feet to be overly large. He sat in a lazy boy and did crosswords all day, and I was embarrassed to have friends over. I channeled my anxiety into two things, work and art. An Italian restaurant called Gubbio's opened down the street in a strip mall, and the owners were Italian immigrants, Bruno and Silvana Santioni who were from Gubbio, Italy. I started working there at 16 and moved from dishes to subs and quickly to pizza. Silvana stirred a huge pot of marinara that covered four burners, and to this day I've never had lasagna or minestrone soup that comes close to hers. Bruno taught me to spin pizzas, and Gubbio's sold a 32-inch party pizza. I was spinning those doughs in the air and felt like the king of the world. Bruno became a bit of a father figure, and I would stay late hosing down the kitchen and pulling silverware from the trash. I loved every minute of it. The pace was fast, the sounds of dishes and a busy kitchen, there was always incredible food to eat, and I was making my own money. I soon bought my first car, a rusty VW Beetle. 
But the VW Beetle didn't last long, and my next car would be one of the best I ever had, an orange 1977 Honda Civic. Somehow in high school, it was probably my friend Charlie that signed my car with a Sharpie, and the next thing you know, everyone was riding all over my car. Then someone stuck gum on my hood, and before you know it, the car is covered in gum. I bolted trophies on the car and was soon spray-painting new designs weekly. Before that car finally died, I had taken out all the seats but the driver's seat and filled it with hay so I could give hay rides. I put a planter of cactus as a dashboard and had switches that worked laugh track and lights. It was the late 80s, and I didn't realize that I was basically part of an evolving trend called the art car. After working through high school, I went straight to the University of Florida and took some general ed and art classes with an idea to major in art. I liked it okay, and I worked part-time at a restaurant, but I missed Bruno and wasn't crazy about school, so after a year, I went back to Jacksonville because Bruno was opening a fancy dinner restaurant called Santioni's, and this time I donned a bow tie and learned to be a waiter. I covered the wall of my Jacksonville apartment with craft paper and would do paintings all day and then wait tables at night. A year later, I decided I should try art school and went to a tiny school in Atlanta called the Atlanta College of Art. I worked at a pizza joint there and realized that I really just wanted to make art and pizza and not get a degree. So I moved back to Jacksonville and begged Bruno to help me open a pizza place in Gainesville. I was 20 years old by then, and I knew that I wanted a pizza place of my own. The joint venture with Bruno didn't pan out, but an ex-girlfriend's dad owned a building in Fruit Cove, Florida, just south of Jacksonville, and said he would help me open a pizza place. A year later, we opened Pizza Blue. It was a tiny pizza shop in a tiny community, but it was soon thriving and business was pretty good. I called it Pizza Blue and hired a blues band to play every weekend. I bought an old stand-up piano and put it in the corner. It was an open kitchen, about six tables, and three, and the three-piece blues band that played was too loud for the small shop. I was 21, and I worked all day, every day. I didn't know my benefactors all that well when we started, but soon we had established that we were on different paths to success. They wanted me to open a chain of pizza places like Domino's, and had made the rule that none of my male friends with long hair could work there. They complained if I was unshaven, and they didn't like the various stickers I was adding to the hood over the oven. They thought I should post USA Today articles on the walls. I'm not even kidding. After a year of that, I felt like I was in jail. They were busy paying down the loan they made to get the place open, and I was dreaming of seeing the world by this point the restaurant feeling like a ball and chain. We parted amicably and I sold my recipes to them for what seemed like a fortune, a thousand dollars. I talked my friend Chuck into a road trip and we headed out to San Francisco in my 1962 Ford Fairlane. This trip would come to be the catalyst for the next decade of my life's travels because not only did we experience adventures and romance, we learned that life can truly happen when you are living always in the moment. We met two German girls in New Orleans who were traveling the U.S. by Greyhound, and they decided to come with us. We met Marco Casanova from Switzerland, who was following the Grateful Dead, selling Guatemalan goods in the parking lots, 
and somehow randomly ran into him in three different states on our way to California. I arrived in Haight-Ashbury, where I had a friend only to call home on a payphone and learn my father had died from complications from his brain tumor. I'll never forget that phone call and my dropping to the ground bawling at a payphone on a busy San Francisco street. My mom bought me a round-trip ticket home for the funeral, but within a week I was back in California wondering what was up and what was down. The brakes on my Ford were shot upon my return, so I sold the car to a junk dealer for $40 and got in Marco Casanova's Chevy Nova and we headed into Mexico. I would go broke, find my way to mom's house in Jack's, get a job, save some money, and travel again. I would go broke, find my way back to Gainesville, work in a restaurant, save some money, and travel again. For 10 years, this was my pattern. I moved to Alaska and stayed for eight months working in a restaurant. Whenever I was semi-settled and working, I learned some skills. I learned to do carpentry and tile. I worked on cars a little and tinkered with tools. I ended up visiting the girl from Germany that I met on that first road trip, and we went to Prague together. I was dropped off by a hitchhiker in Zurich, Switzerland, and found Marco Casanova at a Hotel Yellow Pages phone book with the help of the lady at the desk. I worked for room and board at a youth hostel in Fréjus, France, and fell in love with a girl from Switzerland. I had to call home and beg my mom to send me a little more money so I could go with this girl to Thailand. That relationship fell apart, and I found my way back to Florida literally penniless, even selling my shoes to get enough money for a ticket home and wearing slippers the airline gave me. I found work making pizza or washing dishes, lived in a van or on a couch, saved money, and traveled again. The guy who was in charge of the volunteers at the French Youth Hostel came to Florida and we went to Jamaica together. Life was always an adventure in my 20s, and always when I thought it couldn't get any better, it always got better. My life was charmed, and my travels opened my eyes to a world where anything was possible, a world where everything was colorful, bright, exotic, and intense. As an artist, I had more and more inspiration for my mosaics and paintings back home. I started making mosaics for money here and there, with the restaurant work also. Living simply and cheaply so I could travel was always top of mind. At 30 years old, something changed. I was ready to find my little spot on earth to call my own. I wanted what I saw others had on those little porches and in those tiny yards that sped past the train windows of Europe or the Greyhound in America. While working at a pizza place in Gainesville, I met a woman who worked the coffee bar. We were friends for a long time, and then we got involved. By the time we were ready to settle down, she worked in a homeless shelter, and I was washing dishes and doing some handyman work. We had very little money, but we had found a house in a poor part of town for $30,000, and we made payments of $350 a month. I did a mosaic on the kitchen floor and every surface of the bathroom. I added a screen porch and planted bamboo. We nested up. We rode our bikes. We listened to music and danced in the living room. Again, I was amazed that as great as my travels had been, now my life had gotten even better. We got married. We were best friends. We lived a simple life. My granny lived 10 minutes from my wife and I in Gainesville. 
I had grown up going to my grandparents' house, catching my first fish on the little pond they lived on, and our family would visit them every Thanksgiving and Christmas since I was born. My wife and I visited my granny weekly for years, and she would make us Pillsbury biscuits and tell us stories and fill us in on all the drama in the wrestling world. Granny loved WWE. But around the year 2000, she died and left my mom, sister, and me the humble house. My mom and sister were not in town or interested, so my wife and I decided to move into this old family home. It was on a 10-acre pond, and the house was over twice as big as the 700-square-foot home we had been living in. My wife decided to build a wooden canoe in the living room while I rebuilt the kitchen. We bought $100 worth of supplies a week and just did everything slowly as we had a little extra money. Soon the boat was finished and my wife was pregnant. She delivered our firstborn, a boy, in the living room of my grandparents' home. As hard as having a newborn baby is, it is also equally rewarding. Again, I found myself feeling like life only ever got better. We had never had money before, but now we owned a modest house on the outskirts of Gainesville. This was my chance to open that pizza place I had been dreaming of for so long. I found the cheapest, most run-down old restaurant in town on the edge of an industrial park that had failed more times than you could count for over 35 years. The rent was $750 a month, and I needed $35,000 to get the place just rock bottom ready to open. The bank only wanted to give me $30,000, but gave in and we got the thirty-five. dollars We had calculated we needed $300 a day to make it work, and we opened up with only a few thousand dollars left in the bank, and we made $196 that first Friday we opened. It was just me working and my wife and one-year-old hanging out in a booth or in a play area we set up in the corner of the restaurant. I threw myself into the place like I always do on a project. I painted and enlisted friends to help paint. I tore out the gross, stained rug in the dining room and would lay old industrial tiles every Saturday night after work. In six weeks, I had tiled the dining room. I traded pizza to a guy who did upholstery and the booths got fresh vinyl. I scrubbed the kitchen and had a friend help with some new wiring for lights. Another friend helped plant a garden out front and pizza and beer were always good means of trade. The second week we got busier and I had to hire someone to work the phones and the register. Week three got busier still and I hired someone to help in the kitchen. I paid more than other restaurants because I knew what working in restaurants was like and I believed that if I couldn't pay decently, it wasn't worth doing. We would all split the tips evenly, and we all made pretty good money, even from the start. The problem was when we needed to add another employee, we knew we'd have to split the tips again, but the tips always went up, and so it worked out. I knew how to make pizza, and my wife had come up with the most amazing dressing for salad that made me eat salad for the first time. So I made a salad I could love, and I'm not a salad person, and we had pizza, and that one salad, and that one dressing. People kept coming. We kept getting busier. Soon I was hiring weekly and trying to train, and also fix the place up in my spare time. It was fun and exciting, and business was good. About three months after opening, the local paper ran a cover story on the front page of the local section. 
There was a full-color photo of me spinning a large pie. The review was gushing. They loved the place. If we were an obscure, out-of-the-way, working-class East Side joint before, now the fancy West Side folks knew about us. We kept getting busier and busier, and within five years we had grown to over 40 employees and a very large payroll. I had bought the property, paved a back dirt lot, and turned the large homemade metal workshop behind the restaurant into a bar, live music venue, and toy store called Lightning Salvage Enterprises, named after a fake company a buddy and I had made up when we used to collect junk from people's trash as teenagers. When I wasn't in the kitchen or home with the family, I was making art, making whirly gigs and mobiles, painting designs on the building, and decorating Lightning Salvage out back, making that into a sculpture with an artist friend from high school. It was a junk museum and juke joint, and the more we decorated with found materials and junk, the more people came. The more people came, the busier we got, and I always made a point to remember the employees. Give raises before they can ask. Find ways to offer benefits. Make work fun. There was a kitchen fire at Satchel's in 2012. We had been open nine years at this point and were a staple to the community. Customers kept asking what they could do to help. A new platform called Indiegogo had emerged, and so we set up a place for customers to give money that we would distribute to the 50 employees who would be out of work while we rebuilt. The community gave $37,000 in two weeks, and all 50 employees but one came back to work after three months. The one person that didn't return had moved out of state. There was a second fire in the juke joint Lightning Salvage in 2016. Lightning Salvage, which we call LSE, had been a 10-year art project that burned to the ground in one night. Every inch of the Junk Museum juke joint was covered in all sorts of collections and art. While both events were devastating, I knew we needed to rebuild and come back stronger. We closed for a year and rebuilt a modern block building and opened a more modern version of LSE a year later in 2017. Trying to understand those fires now, it seems clear that the business had outgrown the buildings we were in, and we were just unlucky. When we first opened, I made a sticker that said Satchels, and I put it by the register for free, and people took them. Soon I made a new bumper sticker, You've Got a Friend at Satchels Pizza, and they were gone in no time. Over the years, I've made new stickers every few months, and along with word of mouth, these have become our sole advertising campaign. Satch your mouth. Satch what I'm talking about. Satch happens. And probably my favorite, follow your dreams. Satchel's Pizza. And here I stand again. In January, I'll be 54 years old. And life just keeps getting better and bringing surprises. My dreams are a reality. And I make art almost every day and I eat a lot of pizza. My cup runneth over, and I have nothing but gratitude for my many blessings in this life. My wife and I are coming up on 24 years of marriage, and we have two wonderful kids that aren't always easy, but we love them anyway. It's never too late to follow your dreams. You might be following them now and not even realize it. I had to open Pizza Blue to have the confidence I needed for satchels 15 years later. I had to travel and collect the inspiration and understanding of the world 
to finally settle down and be content with domesticated life. I thought I was old opening my restaurant at 35, and now I see I was young. Make the world you want to live in. Be thankful for the world you have now. I believe it's my gratitude for what I have that allows me more and more and more. This year, Satchels will pay over a million dollars in wages. Our staff is more like a family. Our wages are higher than probably any other restaurant in town, and the labor costs are over 50% of what we bring in. The company does matching into a retirement account for folks who want to participate. We offer a Christmas bonus, massage every three months, and I bought a house at the beach so folks can go there sometimes during the year and get a break with their families or coworkers. I make a calendar every year, and each month is a collage of photos from the previous year. We have a Christmas party at my house, and we do a white elephant gift thing and hang by the fire. Folks often stay after work and drink and play cards, and even burst into singing once in a while. We laugh together at work. We enjoy serving others as our careers. It's not about the pizza or the atmosphere, the art or the employees, the customers, or even the salad or me. It's just one story of what can happen when you dream big and stay positive. Happy New Year, y'all. If you get down, just think of John and hip waiters looking for ancient pottery in the woods of North Carolina. Or think of David keeping his eyes peeled for pedals and vintage tape players on the sides of the roads of LA. Make some cookies, eat a pizza, Enjoy your days. Thanks for listening.